Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring a more connected and human approach to climate conversations, a space for questioning, learning and discovering the many ways a sense of balance can come to be. In today's episode, I'm sharing with you a recent conversation with Nelly, a former Belgian UN Youth Delegate for Sustainable Development, who's currently studying sociology at Ghent University where she's a student representative trying to focus on sustainability, climate and inclusivity. I could honestly spend hours talking with Nelly, and time seemed to have gone by so quickly when we chatted as we delved into so many different avenues and I'm really grateful for Nelly's openness, honesty and the really reflective, considerate way she formulates her thoughts and I have so much appreciation for all of the perspectives that she shared. I love how deeply Nellie's activism is embedded in who she is, which you'll hear more about in this conversation, and we discuss many things from the importance of generational equity, critiquing party politics, the need for inclusivity and a prioritisation of well-being, along with the hopeful possibilities of a just transition. Nellie also shares her own personal experiences with mental health and how she made the decision to be more open about the fact she has a depression, anxiety and has autism, a diagnosis she received much later in her life, which is often the case for most women. This is because the female phenotype, which is the way it presents itself, is different from the male phenotype, yet the male phenotype informs medical frameworks and the way it's generally perceived within society. We discuss the incredibly damaging implications of stigmatisation, stereotypes and the taboos that still exist around mental health. We talk about the way they manifest and the huge need for these stigmatisations to be dismantled. Nelly also draws attention to the immense rise in burnout and how implementing rest is so crucial to support well-being and again having the space to communicate more openly about mental health without fears of judgment or experiencing stigmatisation is so essential. This is such a thought-provoking episode with immense honesty, consideration of the visions to create a better future and many beautiful words of wisdom that I hope resonate with you too. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. Um, It was super lovely to chat with you last time as well and get to know you a bit better. So um, yeah, really looking forward to talking to you again. Yeah, same for me as well. But, um, so first question is just like a little introduction to yourself really a little bit about where you're from and what you're doing at the moment would be really awesome yeah so my name is uh, Nele van Hooywegen I'm from Belgium I live in Ghent at the moment and I also study in Ghent sociology at the university for the rest of my free time I'm <laughs> um, I'm a student representative at my university, and I try to focus on sustainability, climate, and inclusivity. And I'm also now starting a project where my university will give input to the COI, like the Conference of Youth before the COP, the Climate Conference of the United Nations. The universe, university will will also they'll have to raise their ambition as well. And it will be like by students, for students to drive climate action on a university level, but also give input into the COP. So yeah, I'm really excited for it. Um, Still have to like find out who and what and 
but yeah, I'm just like totally new and I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, I know that really does sound super exciting because it's being able to give youth a voice to then actually make action happen within the university and hold the university themselves accountable for their own actions. Indeed it is because like when I used to be a UN Youth Delegate for Sustainable Development for the Flemish-speaking Youth Council of Belgium, I had the opportunity to get access to almost everywhere. Like I was in the official delegation of my country when I, when I went to UN conferences. I had the opportunity to speak with ministers, to lobby. I mean, I had access to so many rooms and places where other young people didn't have any access to. And now I just want to use my experience and use my knowledge to give other young people also a chance or to let them try and find their own way because I yeah, just want to share the information that I have so that other people can start their own projects and so on. Like, I think sharing knowledge is so important and for me it's it also makes me happy when I can when I can talk about something that I really love to do or that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, for sure. And you will then spark that passion in other people because they're then having access to that knowledge that they didn't have before. So such a beautiful thing to be doing. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's also like with other activists, like everyone has their own background and everyone can, can learn from each other. And I think... Often we're like a bit trapped in our own echo chambers, like-minded people. And while that is true, like even inside the climate or sustainability movement, there are so many different types of activists uh, or people with different backgrounds. Like my background is someone from Western Europe who has a chance to study at the university is totally different from someone else who just like can't even pay to go to university. I mean, if you get like the chance to study, to do these things, I think at least in, from my point of view, it's also important to share it. Definitely. It's like so much about sharing that's so important within this movement. And I think within society in general, there needs to be so much more of an openness and sense of community and support from one another and listening to one another. And yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. So the next thing I would love to ask you is about your path into climate activism. How did that journey start for you? Well, it started even before my own memory started. Like my parents told me that when I was like three or four years old, they they always had to read the National Geographic to me to calm me down so that I could sleep. Like that was my bad night story. (laughs) And after that, I, I was still like fascinated by nature. I loved to play outside. And then I joined the youth movement, which focused on nature and environment. And yeah, I just also learned a lot myself, like research, um, looking up stuff. And then one moment, my mother, my mom just sent me like the application form for the UN Youth Delegates uh, program. 
And I was like, yeah, I'll never get it. So I just like filled it in the last night before the deadline. I was like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and then, yeah, this amazing journey like started. Like that was really the start of all the projects that I do now. But it isn't like the first thing I achieved. Like the first thing I really achieved as an, act as an activist uh, was getting a Thursday veggie day at my local school. Like, I think I was 10 years old at the time or something. <laughs> so for me, it's been like a natural process. I don't really think about making these choices. For me, it's like something that goes naturally just because it's an interest of mine. It's amazing. It really sounds like it's something that's so embedded in who you are, you know, from a young age before you even have a memory of it. It was already there. It was already your passion. And yeah, it's incredible, like all that you achieved, like saying at 10 years old, already being a little activist in your own way, making changes is really incredible. <laughs> yeah, I think people often underestimate young people because of their age like even with all the climate marxism on and so on they still think age is like linked to knowledge while i mean like most of the stuff i know at the moment about climate change or like love or different uh position papers i mean i it's not something you learn at school or yeah something you just learn in your free time so i don't really get why people keep on making the mistake that age is the same as intelligence yeah a hundred percent i think that's such a huge misconception and like i'm part of a youth-led climate organization and there's so many young people within that like 16 years old and you know there's people even younger who have so much incredible knowledge about this stuff that I never had at that age or maybe don't even have now and like it, mm -hmm. it's not determined by how old you are how much you can know about this stuff no and I think it's amazing to see like youth experts these people like they could be at the at the table at during negotiations they could say like this is how we want to see it they know what's best for the future or what will have the least impact on our future like negative impact or maybe what will even have the more the most positive impact on our future as a generation i'm really really hoping to see more youth in uh, experts as uh, negotiators at cheering conferences but also even in the government you know like even in parliament um i think we just need more young people to represent our needs in political systems yeah i completely agree and especially because the length of time it often takes for political action to happen choices that young people aren't having a voice in are being made and will be in place at a time where then they do have a voice to voice how they're not happy with it but they didn't have a time to do that beforehand it is crazy. Like the most important thing for me, I at least when I was a UN youth delegate, and even still, is like generational equity. Like I don't think it's fair that other people can choose what will happen to our future, especially if they're just like 
say it a bit crude, like they're just like pushing their problems in front of them and they're just like saying, oh, but young people will fix it. And that's also something you often hear in conversations like, yeah, but you, you're amazing and you will find new solutions. And in the meanwhile, I'm thinking like, yeah, great, but we don't get the budget to do this. We don't get the infrastructure to do this. I mean, do we all need to do this like as a volunteer or maybe even pay for it with our own money? And that's like normal and expected because you're a young person. It's so true. I think it's been really normalized for the responsibility to just be negated from like a lot of the older generation to just put even more of a burden on young people who've contributed less to it and expect it to be done. And like you were saying, either being they having to pay to do it or do it voluntarily. And and it's just putting so much of a burden. And, and because obviously young people are, are going to care about their future and they're going to want to do those things. It's it's so difficult then, you know, so much of a burden is placed on young people, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think it's difficult for some people to realize climate change is already having an impact because they don't see it or they don't notice it. So they're like, oh, you're just panicking over nothing or no, like we don't have time for these excuses anymore. No, I completely agree. But what I would love to touch on now is um, your studies. You mentioned that you're studying sociology and I'd be really interested to hear about how that's shaped the way perhaps you see the climate movement because I think, yeah, there's so many things within studying that that must have influenced the way that that you perceive things. Well, the main thing that changed is that It's a bit weird to say, but basically, I don't think that party politics will be an answer to the climate crisis. And to be honest, I think that most people do care about the environment or do care about the climate. But I also think that we maybe need to translate these long-term goals or like this is to help us like a hundred years from now or something like we need to translate those kind of stories to more like an instant reward or instant yeah short goals and outside of party politics like please i'm so sick but really like sick of hearing that climate is something for people that are voting left only like no, not at all. I don't think it should matter. And at the moment it does, at least in Belgium, it's really split and it's just like left versus right. In the end, when actual, actual decisions have to be made, there isn't any consensus or we, we don't get the measures, measures that we need or that should have been voted on. Yeah, I really agree. I was reading a book called This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein. And within that, there's a part where she talks about this and how it's almost like right wing politicians didn't want to admit that the climate crisis was something that was human induced, because if they did, they almost felt that that would mean that they were giving in to left like 
leftist views so it just becomes then this huge sort of political argument when it's like we are all living on this earth and we need to do what we mm -hmm. can do to protect the people living here the ecosystems biodiversity and the environment like all of this needs to be a priority and I think climate justice is something that everyone needs to be a part of that collective action mm -hmm. yeah I mean some years ago I read I read an article of of um, a politician in the U.S. who was from the Republican Party, and she promoted like solar energy and maybe wind energy also. And but from her point of view, it was like I want to be independent from the power grid because the power grid in America has a lot of problems and isn't that well and she was like I want independence and that's something that fits into the Republican Party that fits into their ideas but it also has like a positive it could be a positive change and I think we should look more at like what do voters want and not what do what do the political parties want because she as well, like, she she got support within her own party, but she also got, like, backlash. And when it really comes to it, and you ask people, <laughs> I think the outcome will be different, especially when we translate political choices into economics. Like for our generation, it's already way more interesting to be more climate minded just because of the future cost it will have. Yeah, and I think going back to what you're saying about being kind of sick of party politics and things as well. I think when we look back to a lot of civil rights movements or any big movements that have evoked a lot of change, it has come from the people and it's kind of filtered up rather than it coming from the politicians themselves because mm -hmm. there's just too much petty arguments, I feel, in, in politics and it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I got the, the opportunity to talk with some former Belgian ministers for climate and I mean I don't get why you would put a person that doesn't even believe that Belgium will be climate neutral in 2100 that you put a person like that in the role of being a climate a minister of climate like I I don't get it like this isn't about a democracy anymore it's about the power of the parties and what they want and not what people want or what people should vote on and i think a lot of the the issues at the moment in europe <laughs> surrounding climate change is like political and ideological and yeah that's something that needs to change because climate it isn't only about our future it's also about most people's lifetime and it's already happening like it isn't about the future anymore like it isn't about our children anymore it's about us and in our lifetime yeah and I think like 
it's trying to almost reach people where they're at in their thinking and in their sphere. And like you were saying before about echo chambers and why it's so important that people break out of them and recognize that you need to approach people in different ways to recognize that this affects everyone and everyone needs to care about these issues. And that might be their gateway into caring. And then they recognize how connected everything is. And that's the hope that then people get that more connected view, I suppose, of, of the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like at the moment, biodiversity can be a big game changer in this because it's the UN decade of action on biodiversity and in October there will also be a big vote on the post-2020 uh, biodiversity framework. At least from what I notice, most parties that are more right-wing do focus on environmental pollution and they do want to keep their nature clean, like no litter and this and that. And I think the link between between those two, between left and right, could be biodiversity. I just hope they don't blew it and make a political game out of it, which might be the case, but let's, let's hope it won't, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah 100% and I know like going on from kind of voicing our frustrations at party politics and things you you've had the opportunity to attend COP24 and you're also a former UN youth delegate for sustainable development and obviously that involves a lot of party politics so I'd be interested to hear what your experiences of that were like and and whether that fueled the further frustrations that you hold now. Yeah there was a lot of frustration but also a lot of hope like I see that politicians individually do want change and they do want to vote on these measures but because some of these measures will only have a return in like 10 years or 20 years. They aren't like the really popular choices for politicians to, to make because most of the politicians want to be re-elected. But also within the climate movement, I had the feeling that I was more willing to talk with people from other ideological than some other organizations where I think the difference is just that I care a bit more about the results, even though I don't agree with everything that these people say. Some things are just not logical in my head. Like, I don't get why right-winged parties oppose migration but don't take climate action while we know that most of the refugees in the future will be climate refugees. Like, stuff like that doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean, I'm someone who reads their um, political agendas or... For me, it's just like, this isn't logical. And what I want to do is then go talk to them and be like, hey, this is your goal. I don't agree with your goal but it can help a bit. And it isn't popular. Like, I know it isn't, but I think that sometimes we need to focus more on a common goal 
but I also get why for a lot of people that this is very difficult. So I don't expect anyone else to do what I do. It's just for me, politics are a game and I play the game or I try to play the game. And that's it. I just tell political parties what they want to hear. I adapt my message to what fits their party program. And yeah. I think that that in itself is really valuable. It's like the recognition there of there are different spaces and different ways to engage in these conversations and to get other people engaged in taking action. And if we completely alienate ourselves from the people who have a lot of influence and at the moment maybe standing for something very different, if if you can create those collective goals and focus on the things that can unify people to take positive action, it gets super important to be doing that work. And that isn't the one solution. That's not the space for everyone, but it's a space that you're inhabiting incredibly well and probably making really positive change. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, I try to. Even even though I I get it. I mean, some some party programs from certain political parties within Europe. I get that some people feel threatened by certain parties because they incite violence or members of their um, party incite violence against certain groups of people. And sometimes that get. It hits really close to home for me because they talk a lot about people with disabilities and not always in like a very positive light or it just reminds me of like a conversation I had with a friend of mine yesterday. We were talking about politics and about democracy and how democracy is just like the best system we got so far i just get why some people feel discriminated against or why some people don't feel welcome and i get that i get it and i think it's very important to acknowledge that and to besides the purely environmental impact we should also look at the human aspect and i think when we are marching in the streets when we are doing actions when we're like acting outside of the political political sphere i think people should demand what they want i think people people should be able <laughs> to 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 go for more and to ask for more it's just that at the moment with the given political climate that i choose to act in this way it's always very difficult to navigate uh, you always have to watch your words, what you're saying. I mean, when I was at the UN, I had a, I had a party batch of like the country of Belgium. So my batch said Belgium expert. <laughs> and when I participated in, in some actions like stand-ins or, or other stuff, I had to remove my batch because otherwise it could be seen as Belgium. <laughs> protesting against so it's it's a really difficult line to yeah i can't even begin to imagine what that must be like so it's yeah so challenging in many ways i think like one of the things was that i um 
I was invited by uh, by the European uh, Parliament to do a speech after they heard me uh, after they heard me talk on another event, and after that, like they uh, wanted to invite me to the COP to speak at a side event of uh, of theirs, and it's really difficult to explain to your university that you'd. <laughs> that you want to skip an exam because you got this amazing opportunity. <laughs> Such a complex topic, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's difficult to, to talk about it because every situation is different, like every conference. It's all very specific and at the start it's, it's really disorientating. Like at first I, I had the feeling that I, I, I was just like failing or something like I didn't know if what I was doing was was good or wasn't because they're just like dropped into these settings which are totally not used to as a 19 year old <laughs> yeah for sure but it's amazing that you've been able to navigate both of those spaces simultaneously and it's it's been a learning process and I still learn like every day I'm not saying that I'm an expert I'm just someone who had the opportunity and the experience to be there. And I hope that I achieved as much as possible. But when you're lobbying, it's very difficult to really know what impact or what difference you made. Yeah, definitely. Something that I would love to move on to talk a little bit more about now, and we've obviously touched on some conversations that (laughs) should definitely be had more in certain situations, but if there are any specific things within the environmental movement, something that maybe strikes me that that could be the case is you were mentioning how in your work, you work a lot with like inclusivity and making spaces more inclusive. And I was wondering if maybe that is also an aspect that is something that you feel could be had more within environmental spaces. Yeah, I think inclusivity is important. Like personally, I'm a fan of a just transition. Like I really believe that we can improve a lot of things. And I think that these changes also give us the opportunity to include more people. Like it starts with like the simplest things. Like for example, in Belgium, you barely see any uh, people with a physical disability using public transport. So people think, oh, well, they never use it. So why should we invest in it for them. But the thing is that you need to reserve your place on a train or a bus like 24 hours in advance. And even then, it's not possible to take the train at any station, but only at stations where there's like a special ramp and someone needs to go bring it to you instead of just like making the trains more accessible. And these are things that that seems so normal and like such an a little a little adaption and still it hasn't been made and i think like with a just transition when we need to focus more on public transport instead of everyone in their own car because like even if we're just switching to electrical cars that isn't the solution we need more accessible public transport and 
while we're just like working on making public transport more accessible, I think we should also include minorities, even the public in general, that we should listen more to the customer and what they want or need. And I think that with some small changes, the personal mental health of people can improve a lot. I know someone who's in a wheelchair herself and she's an activist about her uh, physical disability. And like when we have a meeting with my youth counselor, so it's, it's so harsh to see that sometimes, even though she like reserved the place and even though everything was all right, there's like nobody to help her on the train. So when we have a meeting with the youth council, we have to go with her to the station to make sure that she can get on the train or sometimes they just forget her and she doesn't even make it to the youth council. And I mean, I can imagine that that must feel so powerless and so that you need to rely on someone else for like almost everything, just like your daily transportation and I think empowering people, like giving them more opportunities to do it on their own, to take the train or the bus when they want it, to where they want it, and they can just go. Like It's something that we find normal, but for people with physical disability, at least where I live, it isn't the case. And I think a just transition could be like a wonderful answer to this. And I mean, making trains more accessible for people in a wheelchair it's also very helpful for um, mothers with a baby or even just people who want to take their bike on the train. It's an, almost never only a positive change for the intended group. It often affects other people as well in a positive way. At least I think. Yeah, I definitely think so too. And in the UK as well, there's so many ways that things are still so inaccessible and I completely agree the idea of a just transition it's it's an incredible opportunity to make sure that moving forwards we make spaces more accessible and things that do seem seemingly normal for someone who can already access those things like that's how it should be for everyone Um, and it's awful to think that we still live in a world where that's not the case in so many ways so no yeah in some countries in Belgium in most buses when you take the bus don't say which stop you're at or they don't even show it so it's very difficult to to know where to exit the tram or the bus but it's also very difficult for like for example for me it gives me a lot of stress because I'm always like so unsure and double checking my GPS and like oh where do I need to go and public transport is like an, an easy example I guess I think inclusivity should also be about who's negotiating like who's making decisions i think that a more diverse uh, government like from different social backgrounds different studies like it's an added value and i think when there's more diversity in the people who make the political decisions but also in environmental organizations as well you will almost automatically end up with a more inclusive world afterwards. Because I think that often politicians just don't think about 
I think we often forget what it's like for someone who's differently abled. I think it comes back to that thing of how we each only have our one lived experience. And even as much as you want to try and relate, you may not have the ability to imagine every possible scenario of how someone can exist in the world. So therefore, someone with that lived experience is, is going to understand the needs for, the, for them that would make, make everything more accessible and, and just a more just society because people's voices are being heard from so many different lived experiences. Yeah, and I think civil society, good institutions, like reliable institutions and a strong civil society is like necessary as well to make a just transition. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I remember also last time that we had a conversation, we were speaking about how not only are we facing a climate crisis, but also a mental health crisis. And I think that was such an important observation that you shared. And I'd really appreciate it if there's anything further you'd want to, to share on that. So last time I was talking about how in sociology and in social science, there's like this new research popping up about the effects of climate change on young people that aren't directly affected by natural crises like floods or, or droughts and so on. This basically means that young people in Europe and in other parts of the world that aren't in a natural disaster themselves are also being impacted by climate change because it's like you can compare it a bit to the cold war where there was always like the impending doom of the bombs can drop every second like there can be a nuclear war the same thing goes for climate change but more in the like what if we don't act young people are just being worried because they they know what the effects will be and they don't see any action taken so they feel threatened threatened because of the unreliability of people that have the power at the moment to really make an impact and i'm not only talking about politicians i'm also talking about investors, uh, companies, CEOs, CFOs. I mean, every, everyone that holds like a position of power in which they personally can make like a decision that has an impact, like an actual impact, should take it and like should do it. And if they don't do it, I think they should be held accountable. And I also want to add, like I am really against rich people making their own funds and choosing where their own money will go. I'm against it because, and I know this will sound weird, but when we look at example, for example, at the Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates fund, the amount of money that they invest each year really makes a difference in which problems are being tackled and which aren't. And I don't think that one person should be able to have such a large impact, especially if you know that 
these companies still have minimum wage employees. Uh, these companies have like special constructions to not pay their taxes or not pay as much as they should. And I don't think that they should get the power as a reward for not paying. I mean, as a company, when you're in a country with, for example, social security, like in Western Europe, it's easy because most of your employees got a good degree, like a bachelor or even a master's. And this is because of the social security, except multinationals try to pay as, as less as possible. While they still grow, I just don't get it. I don't get it why people think that's okay and why people are like, oh yeah, but Bill Gates, he's giving away so much money, it's so good. Like, okay, yeah. I don't think that one person should even be able to hold such an amount of money. And I don't think that rich people should be awarded anymore with like being able to actually take like decisions that affect world politics or even like the lives of millions of people yeah i really agree and like i i don't think there is a way to acquire that much wealth without causing so much damage and violating human rights and causing environmental destruction i think because of the society that we live in and the capitalist and consumerist sort of systems that drive it like it doesn't feel to me that there can be a way that you can ethically earn that much and have that much wealth it shouldn't be possible like yeah no yeah indeed and i think that's one of the conversations that also should be held more within the climate movement or within the sustainability movement even human rights i mean it's everywhere and i think that we need to start seeing the the climate crisis as a health crisis as well i think the world health organization is taking important steps they are organizing a conference on the link between health and climate change during uh, the cop in glasgow and i hope this will also create more momentum at the cop i think that when we start seeing the climate crisis as a health crisis, uh, physical and mental, I think we will also finally realize how much this costs us, how much money we will need to invest in healthcare, hospitals, emotional healthcare. And I think that with every year of inaction, actually, that this will cost us more and more money just to keep people healthy. I talk about it in terms of money because often that's how decisions are made. Which is something I find so infuriating. <laughs> but I mean, it's, again, that in some ways comes from my naivety of not having studied economics or things like that. But I think I'm, I'm such a person who just sits in like, but if you knew that this was harming people's well-being, why wouldn't you change? Yeah, it's the same for me. Like, I don't get it or why people do it. I understand that this is the system as it works at the moment. 
but I think that we also need more of a community sense within Europe so that politicians in the European parliaments are closer to to the people living in the European Union. I know the UK just left the EU, but <laughs> um, a lot of the most important law, laws when it comes to the environment and climate are taken at the EU level and not at the national level anymore. But it's the same in other um, regions in the world. Like I'm just realizing, I'm just really focusing on Europe at the moment. It's just because that's my action radius, kind of. I think nation states are helpful to create a kind of order within a state. But I think that world politics often are just between a state as an invention of a nation state and not about what people want and yeah, I think we need to start questioning. What do we find most important? What do we value more? Like when we look at the United Nations, Europe has a very strong position. It's like overrepresented. But when but when we look at like the amount of people that live in Europe and we look at like the projections of like the world population, I think we need to realize that even though we like it or not, that we as Europe can't hold this position any longer. It's not fair. But I think that these are questions that need to be asked, that we need to think about, because the world is evolving. It's difficult to find the perfect international governing body. I don't know if we will ever have it, but I do think that we need to keep improving how, yeah, in general, just like how politics on an international level are seen and how they work. I know I'm just like being super critical of the UN at this moment, <laughs> but it's it's the reality. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important to be critical because at the end of the day, these have become the governing bodies that are making so many decisions on behalf of the people. And I think it's become so disconnected from the way these decisions are being made, having any connection to people and to communities. So being critical of them is not a bad thing. I think I think it's, it's an important thing to know that they're in many ways not doing justice for people. No, but when I say this, it's I want to see change and I want to help drive this change because I don't think it's fair at the moment and I think we should do something about it. And also because my hopes are that if these institutions change, that maybe international negotiations go a bit better or like a bit smoother. And I want to pick up a little bit on what you were saying before about kind of the difference between having to have a focus on finance when pitching certain <laughs> ideologies, I suppose, in comparison to like supporting the well-being of, of people. And I'd be interested to hear from a perspective around how how can that be broke? Can it be broken at those levels? Is it something that happens on more of a community level and filters up? Or do you feel like it is something that, that is changing? I think it is changing. I also think it's a process that will take a lot of time. In sociology, there's also a lot of research about big 
stigmatization. Yeah, so there there are still like a lot of issues with stigmatization, but I think the important first steps have already been taken. But to really see like someone in a position of power openly talking about their mental health is something entirely different. Should they do that? Not necessarily. It's the same as, as with physical health. You share whatever you want. But I do think that we need to break down some stereotypes or some taboos about the mental health issues themselves. I think some problems are just a part of how the DSM, like the Diagnostic Manual, works how they describe a certain type of diagnosis and that people see these things as way too rigid, as in someone who has, for example, a depression, has all these kind of characteristics. And that's not the case. Like there are so much differences on an individual level. And it also, it's also not consistent like I think these taboos are still there today I notice them myself often because I made the decision to be pretty open about the fact that I have a depression that I have anxiety and that I have autism spectrum disorder because I was just sick of making excuses does this mean that some people will view me as less capable Yes. Does this mean that some people won't work with me on future projects? Yeah, can be, sure. But I think that if people like me were not like the, the typical story or that people who have mental health issues but are still passionate about some other things and some other projects, that they should also be more visible. And it's not because you have a certain, certain diagnosis that you are the diagnosis. You're still a person. You still have your own character, your own ideals, your own goals in your life. And this also has an impact on the way your mental health or the way you deal with your mental health. And when I talk to people, people are often confused. <laughs> they're often confused because they don't see that how having a depression and doing all the, the the stuff that I do or that I did goes hand in hand and I know it's not logical but for me it's more like I just want to leave the world in a better place that I found it because I've had some other really intense experiences and I just want to, to make the, water, uh, the world a better place for all the other people that are still struggling or maybe make it a bit easier for them. It's sad to see how many people don't want to be like close with someone who has a, a major depression. I mean, I experienced it myself. So for me personally... Um, Last year in January, my situation with my mental health was like unlivable. So 
I decided that for me it was enough. And after after this, a lot of friends just left. I I went to a mental health facility and I went through a lot. And six months later, when I came out, I didn't have anyone left from before. Like, just some people I, I, I know, but not any friends. They're all gone. Uh, you need people. You need support in those moments. And I know it's difficult for other people to deal with it, but just imagine how it is for the person themselves. And I think these taboos and these stereotypes make it worse. Because of these stereotypes, because of these taboos, a lot more people with mental health issues are excluded. They're viewed as not really being a part of society often or it's invisible like people don't even dare to talk about it because they're afraid of what other people will think about them or they're afraid how this will influence the rest of their career that shouldn't be the case i think a lot of people are struggling with their mental health and i'm not saying that everyone who's struggling with their mental health has a uh, psychiatric diagnosis or something like that. But I do think that we all have moments in which we struggle with our mental health. And I do think that if we could be more open about it, even with friends or family, or even with your doctor, just like you, <laughs> I think that that can help a lot of people, especially people with burnout. It's just something I think of because it's almost like an like an epidemic in in industrialized countries. Something I also noticed is that like when you give them the right opportunities or the chance to take some rest or to take a break and to be accepting about it and not judgmental. Yeah, like just if it can be discussed and you can talk about it and see what you need. I've been really thinking about whether I should be open about my mental health or not. Because I know that some people will view me as less, less competent, less of a person, less of a human even, just because I got these diagnoses. <laughs> I only got the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder last year in August because the female phenotype, like the the way it presents itself, is different from the male one. It's only the male one described in the DSM, for example. And for me, it felt so weird because I was like twenty years, twenty one years old, and at once I got this this like label of like yeah, autism is like I mean it's. I, I can't call it a disability because it's you're not disabled, you're differently abled, at least in my view. And I think it's also a way to 
to give the people, the persons themselves, like more power to move forward. For me as well, I I have some some skills that are probably linked to the to my to the fact that I got autism, but I also have like abilities that are less positive because of it. So is it a disability? For me personally, it's being differently abled. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing so openly about um, those things. And I'm sorry to hear very much about the negative experiences with friends around you during what was a very difficult time. But um, when you were speaking about being differently abled, it made me think about in the English language, we have the term of being neurodivergent. um, Mm -hmm. And it's such a more beneficial way to talk about neurodiversity because it's recognizing that it's functioning in a different way that's not necessarily a negative way. It has its own strengths and weaknesses in the same way a a brain functioning in another different way has its strengths and weaknesses. And I think it's so important to recognize that because there'll be many incredible skills that you have from being autistic that actually bring so much value to the way that you work and the way that that you exist in the world which is a really beautiful thing yeah and for me my boyfriend and i we both have autism but we're totally different (laughs) persons and like he has more like the the how do you say it he's more like i do things the way that i want and if the world got a problem with it it's their problem and I'm more like, okay, I'll I'll try to do what's seen as uh, acceptable or like normal, and it actually has like a big big impact on my mental health, and that's why I decided to speak up about it, because now I can just say, I mean, now I can say to friends or people that I work with on projects like, hey, it's not really a good time. Um, it's not really going too well with me. Can we do it another time or maybe later? And it's more comfortable for me. And I think that we all should have the courage to be ourselves without harming someone else, of course. But I think if people don't accept you because you're different, then maybe you're not the problem that they are. Yeah, I definitely agree with that and 100%. I think as well what you were saying before that really baffles me is when you were talking about the diagnoses for autism for males compared to females and and the assumptions and stigma that's been kind of developed around that and that actually people being more open, I suppose, about talking about these things helps further to break down those assumptions because then people actually personify and humanize these things that they have come to understand through a list of characteristics or something. Yeah, and I think a lot of people also just have a lot of misconceptions about mental health issues. And I don't even know what a normal person is. 
but please show me if you find one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's no like quote unquote normal. There's only what is tried to be created through society's perception of what the ideal human existence should be. It doesn't exist. We are all so different. And that's something yeah. that should be celebrated. And for some reason, it's still not enough. No, and it's like someone else deciding how much you're worth based on how well you can perform in a certain way. Whilst I know some people that have autism and let them do go to school and they fail, but let them just study the one topic that they love and they're experts. But they just don't get these opportunities because we're expected to to function in a normal way, and I I think that's that's just a missed chance because yeah, in that way you you make people disabled because they're differently able than you. Then uh, I'm just like you. I'm just using it less in like the way that like government thinks of so it's not a personal attack um no but that like the institutions make like these decisions that you're disabled while maybe it's more as though i suppose the environment that's being created is the problem not the person but we're living in a society that's trying to put the blame on the person not the environment yeah And I think you see this like everywhere. It's even with students. Like I noticed that a lot of students during the pandemic and during lockdowns that some of them got like way more tasks because the professors could like uh, contact them anytime through email or through notifications. A lot of these students got really, really stressed and freaked out especially the ones that really need to be in a classroom to focus. And it's like, yeah, some of them got panic attacks, like actually psychiatric diagnoses because of it. Does this mean that these people are, are less? No, not at all. Maybe it's just because we're expecting inhumane things. I believe, personally, I believe that this is also like the major reason why burnouts are such a problem. Maybe we just expect people to function in a way that they're just not made for. We need to give individual people more an opportunity to say what they want and what they need uh, instead of like deciding it for them or just giving them a label and acting as if it's solved. I completely agree. And it, it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about listening and like how important it is to to actually hear what, what people need because it seems like such an obvious thing, but yet people don't do it enough. They don't just have the conversations that need to be had and and listen to what people need and what, what people want and what would make a situation better for them and for everyone really yeah listening I I don't know I just like listening I I like listening to other people and um, um but I also think that 
sometimes people don't listen enough to what other people are really saying or they they just like communicate in like paper headlines that kind of writing but on twitter for example <laughs> it's yeah i think we lost our appreciation for detail and for nuances nothing is ever black or white it's it's always something in between I completely agree with that and like what you were saying about Twitter as well like it is so true it's like the the go-to are like the short bits of information that grab attention and make a clear statement but it it lacks all of that detail and the nuance that we really need and that's what makes us human and humans are complex and have so much gray area yeah and thank you for for all of the like wonderful words of wisdom and perspective that you shared it's i just want to add one thing because i i talked uh, a lot about europe i mean this is like the situation at the moment in europe like even western europe <laughs> but different continents and different regions have their own traditions and cultures and i think that when we're looking for solutions, when it comes to mental health, climate change or emergency aid or anything else, I think we should also like respect their communities, their cultures, and that we should not always impose our Western European ideal ideals on everyone else. Personally, it differs from person to person i'm just saying like in in general that doesn't necessarily make it right to to yeah to push our opinion as the only one definitely and like solutions will look different in every different situation and i think so so much we're grasping onto this idea of one solution that fixes everything and it doesn't work like that because of all these complexities because of all these details that are different and that's what's beautiful about humanity are those differences so why are we trying to to erase them it's 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 just so counterintuitive and so damaging and yeah mm -hmm. i would now love to ask if that's okay any activists or movies or podcasts or anything in that sort of realm that has inspired you or that has had some implemental change on how you think about things or anything i actually i i read the your original book of the club of rome from the 1970s my uh, my mom had it just like laying around in our house and this book really opened my eyes because even some of the ideas that we now call recent and modern and modern modern um are like already mentioned in this book and it's just like a a reminder of how how the science has always like been there but that we just like ignored it but on the other hand it also has like some solutions or some different ways of thinking in which we can maybe find solutions that are still suitable for the situation today. And on the other hand, I read Agenda 21, and that's 
links to the, the conference in, in Rio, I think. And the speech from the from the girl or the young lady. I, I think it was was um I think she was still a child. That was incredibly powerful. I I have to look up her name. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, no worries. Just let me know and I'll make sure I add it in the in the description mm. so people can find it. But that sounds incredibly inspiring. Thank you for sharing. So before I go on to the final question, because I realise I've kept you for a while, but it's always just so <laughs> lovely chatting with you. I feel like I could just speak to you for so many hours. It's yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I was just wondering if you have any final thoughts you'd like to add before I ask the final question. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about burnout and the importance of rest and and things around that. I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add. Um, respect your own personal boundaries because if you try to do too much, you'll just get stressed and the project won't be as good as you want them to be so sometimes it's better to to do a bit less or to take your time and to then come back into the activist field or maybe yeah maybe you'll find a totally new hobby or field of interest i think that we should remember that we're or most of us are, are volunteers i know that m- most people in the climate movement care about it deeply, but it can sometimes be really frustrating to see how slow that everything goes. And it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to to be frustrated about it, but it's not okay to to let it take over, to only feel frustrations or, or sadness about your work as an activist and I think if that is the case that it's time to take a break and it's totally totally okay to do so like I took a break from like November 2019 and only recently I'm just restarting with projects I just had to take some time and focus on on my own mental health and physical health and yeah, that should be totally acceptable. But what can help is that if you work on a project, if you work together with other people, that you try to explain this. If you don't feel comfortable to say the real reason, just let them know that you will do less or that you might not be able to participate anymore just so that you don't leave any bad feelings with. Yeah, that you don't leave on bad terms or, or that there's like um yeah that's not really clear what your role is anymore i do the same i i i do it for school projects i do it with all my other projects i didn't do that before and it's made it impossible to do what i want to do sometimes and sometimes that leaves frustrations with other people which i totally get but i think that if you're just honest about what you can and can do 
that people should accept it. And if people push you to do more or if they're angry that you won't do as much as a volunteer, then that I think that you should maybe search a new environment where your work is more appreciated and you feel more comfortable and where people respect your own boundaries. Mm. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to ask you now the final question that I always ask on the podcast, um, which is how you find your little bit of lagum. So Swedish concept, not too little, not too much. I think I'm still searching for it every day, but I do think I'm, I'm progressing. And I, I do think that in some time, I will have more moments where I will feel imbalanced and it will take some time, but I'm just already thankful when there are like little moments where I, where I feel good about myself and where I feel comfortable in, in my own skin and in balance and yeah. I just try to appreciate these moments and try to make decisions to make more of them possible in the future. Yeah. It's a process, I think. <laughs> but a little bit of legum. Yeah. I, I also like to take like some time each day to just think about like any music or screens or to just think a bit about everything and nothing it can be about what i want to eat that day but it can also be about what steps i want to take next in um <laughs> in lobbying about biodiversity at my university for example <laughs> yeah it's a i think taking a break from like everything that keeps us busy the whole day can be healthy yeah, I love that. Thank you. Like, I think for me as well, like even your honesty was saying how it's something you're constantly searching for. Like, I feel the exact same. And that's why I've always loved being able to ask people these questions because I'm like, how do you do it? What, what helps you? <laughs> so yeah. no, I love that. Yeah, it's a process. And I think that it's also meant to be a process. And that's beautiful. I've learned to see things less as absolute and more as changeable. Like not per se changeable for like the whole world, but the way in which you deal with it is something you can choose. Not always how you want, but it, it's something which you can train to do yeah I really agree with that and you articulated it really really lovely so <laughs> thank you for that something that I think everyone needs to hear from time to time so yeah it can it can start with small things like I I have a lot of anxiety to take public transport so I got a an electrical step and now I'm I'm like I have less stress and I'm more, more I, I have more mobility. So
So, for example, that is something that helped me in finding my balance of how to of how to use my energy during a day. And in this way, I got more energy and time left for things that I want to do. That's so great to hear. Thank you so, so much for for having a chat with me today. It's super lovely talking with you. (laughs) Hey, everyone. So this is Neela again with a little update. So during this episode, I talked a lot about people with physical disabilities and wheelchair users. And I just wanted to use this opportunity to point out that not all persons with a physical disability are wheelchair users and not all wheelchair users have a physical disability. I just use this example because it's like the most visible and we've all seen someone in a wheelchair. Another thing that I wanted to point out is that a lot of people in the disability community prefer the term disabled and I agree like when it comes to official help or when it comes to asking the government for a special statute or like money or anything else yes the term disabled is very very important and we shouldn't use special needs but When it comes to me as a person and how I define myself, I like to use differently abled because I don't see myself as less than a person who doesn't have autism. I just think that my talents are different and this is partially based on my autism but also partially on who I am as a person. And I think it's very important to not rate your talents or like what you're capable to do. Um, Like who says I'm the disabled one? Maybe the way we are organized just isn't really the best way. Like who's to say that? And that's why I prefer term differently abled but I do understand that the term disabled is very important when it comes to official documentation thank you so much for this conversation you are Um, more than welcome (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much again to Nelly I hope that this conversation gave you a lot to think about and reflect upon I feel like so many discussion points were raised in this and I really could have talked to Nelly for so long I think she's such an awesome person and I'm really grateful for her openness in this conversation and the analytical approach she takes when discussing such complex topics. Because deep analysis and critique is really so important in challenging the possibilities. You can find links with ways to connect with Nelly in the blog post for this episode, along with episode notes and any resources mentioned in the chat. Nelly's courage and openness has really encouraged me to be more open about my own mental health moving forwards with friends and family. And if you're struggling with your mental health at the moment, I hope that this conversation reminded you that you're not alone and perhaps gave you the courage to maybe reach out to loved ones or seek the support that could help you in difficult times. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope that you found it insightful 
and enjoyable too. But if you have been listening for a while, you might have noticed that the pace in which podcast episodes are being released had slowed down a little bit. This is because I think it's really important to reflect on these things and I'm also considering taking a bit of a break over the summer. There might be the occasional episode, but I don't think it will be as weekly or fortnightly. But I guess this is a good time to catch up if you are new to listening to the episodes and you want to go back and listen to old ones, because I've spoken to some really interesting and inspiring people that I hope can inspire you too. I've learned so much over these episodes and it's really helped shape the way I want to take actions moving forwards and it's also going to give me the space to consider restructuring and how I can make the podcast more sustainable in a logistical sense as well. I'd also love to hear from you. What has stuck with you from episodes you've listened to? What might you want to hear more about in future episodes? Are there any questions that have come up for you? Or if you have any feedback for me in general, I'd really appreciate it. You can find me on Instagram at a little bit of Largum or email me on a little bit of Largum at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you. I guess the last little note that I want to end on is reflecting on something that's come up a lot in the episodes that we talk about and that's the sense of community and the importance of pushing back against this individualist approach. There's so much that we can achieve collectively. It's supporting for our well-being in having a network of people all passionate about fighting for the same thing. The interconnection of all of these issues is also something that we really need to focus on and finding ways that you can contribute to positive change in your community is really wonderful and I hope that you're finding ways to do that. I feel like I'll just start rambling for a long time if I keep going down this path but I hope that some of this has made some sort of sense to you and I'm sure if you go back and listen to the wonderful people I've spoken to articulate these things so much better than I'll ever be able to. If you are learning things from these episodes, I really would appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or even just share it on your social media, with family, with friends. It really means a lot. I hope that you're having a wonderful day wherever you're listening from and I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.